Hello and welcome to Crosstalk. I'm Wes McAdams. On today's episode, we're going to talk about coming back to the church. Whether it's you or someone you love, this subject hits home for us all. We'll be right back with today's special guest. You're listening to Crosstalk, which is brought to you each week by Baker Heights Church of Christ in Abilene, Texas. Baker Heights is a friendly, loving, growing, and biblical congregation. If you're in the Abilene area, please come visit us. Now, back to the show. Just because we know we should do something doesn't mean we always do it. I know I should eat more vegetables. I know I should work out more. So it's not always just a matter of knowing what we should do. And there are so many people who know they should come back to the church, but they haven't come back yet. What does it take to motivate someone to do what they know they should do, especially when it concerns their soul? Our guest today is a man who was once in that situation. Although he became a Christian as a young man and grew up being involved in the church, he eventually stopped attending. But he found his way back to the Lord and back to the Lord's church. Now he's one of the elders at Baker Heights and one of the finest Christian men I know. Welcome to Crosstalk, Ron well, McElyer. Thank you, Wes. I'm, I feel honored and privileged just to be here with you today. And I certainly am humbled that you asked me to participate in Crosstalk. Well, you truly are one of the finest Christian men I know. And I'm, I'm, I'm humbled to, to be around you, to know you, and you encourage me and inspire me all the time. So when I hear your story of how you came to the Lord and fell away for a while and then came, came back, it really um, is a story that I think that a lot of people out there need to hear because there's probably some people right now maybe that are watching at home and that are in that exact same situation. So I know that this isn't a part of your life that you're real proud of. I do think it's important for people to, to know and to hear how other people have overcome that situation. So why don't you walk us through uh, your early years in the church, how you came to the Lord, and then how you eventually uh, left the church. Sure. I you know what you just said it's very disconcerting and certainly self-disappointing when you reflect on a part of your life that you're not proud of uh, particularly when you 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 knew uh, you knew what you should be doing but you refused to do it and in those circumstances I think we all need to take a, a look at ourselves uh, a very close look at ourselves um, I grew up in the, in the Church of Christ my parents uh, uh, obeyed the gospel when I was uh, probably in the second grade. I attended church regularly with my family and attended Bible classes regularly from the second grade through uh, my junior year in high school. Uh, my senior year in high school was um, uh, something that um, is not something I like to think a lot about because I, I really began to doubt that there was a God. In fact, I think most of us have doubts in our lives, but I doubted so seriously that I began to say I didn't need God. Um, and the two main reasons are peer pressure and arrogance. Um, the peer pressure is phenomenal, particularly when you're in high school and, and you're in your senior years of high school and you're wanting to participate with what you think the world has to offer, uh, and so then you do. And in so doing, you find out that um, um, your peers are the ones you tend to look to. And um, that's who I tended to look to was my peers. The arrogance came in once I graduated from high school and began to attend college. As I attended college and uh, uh, became more academic oriented, uh, I began to think of myself more highly than probably what I should have in terms of my intellect and my ability to learn. 
Um, by the time I was a junior in college, I was taking several philosophy courses and psychology courses and sociology courses. And within those uh, philosophy courses, uh, I had instructors, professors, who although they weren't professed atheists, they certainly were agnostics. Uh, I could relate to them because um, not only was I having doubts, these professors seems to have, seemed to have a lot of doubts also. Um, I never will forget one professor that I had in particular, and he was talking about a uh, 17th century philosopher, and he was talking about there could be no God, and if there is a God, man created him. Mm. And I thought, you know, that sounds, that sounds deep. That sounds like something, you know, that I should uh, consider. So as I, I continue to read two or three different philosophers um, and their take on religion and their take on God, and I begin to think, you know, I, I'm really beginning to understand all of this. So about my junior year in college, I set out to prove that there really was no God and that the Bible as it was written was a false a, a book, books of false teachings. And I did this not, um, not from an intentional standpoint to necessarily damage God, but I thought, you know, some very close people to me needed to know that what they had believed and practiced was in error. And I was going to prove to them that the Bible just wasn't a factual document, that it was just a bunch of writings and sayings put together by people who were trying to fool you. So I spent a great deal of effort studying. I mean, I've I, I read Genesis to Revelation probably eight or nine times during the summer of my junior year in college. And I was taking notes and I was doing my very best to disprove God's existence and disprove those evidences in the scripture. But ironically, you know, God being patient and long-suffering, as Peter said, the more I studied, the more I tried to facilitate the fact that there is no God, the more the scriptures, the more the writings in the Bible begin to prove me otherwise. And the key was whether or not I was going to accept that proof or reject it. Uh, I, I, I was really kind of at the time disappointed that, that the Bible was lining up the way it was. I, I, I began to grasp it and I began to say, well, you know, there are some truths in the Bible and there are things in there that, that you need to look at. But in my mind, I really hadn't prepared to make that change that I needed to make. That, that really is a really fascinating story. And, I, and, I, and it's not totally unique to the world. I, I've, I've been with so many people that have started out as either an atheist or an agnostic and have gone to the Bible, not with what does God want me to do, but I'm going to prove that this God right. doesn't exist. I'm going to prove that this is full of contradictions. I'm going to prove that this is just a, a made up book by man. And they end up disproving themselves. And isn't it amazing how God slowly through his word begins to work on us and how uh, we realize that this isn't the work of man, that this book, that this Bible is God's word. And it's amazing how that, that process was working in you. And so you eventually came to the point where you realized that there's no other conclusion to come to than God 
is real and this Bible is his word. So talk to me about uh, that point in your life. Did you immediately upon realizing that there is a God, that this Bible is his word, that Jesus is his son, did you immediately at that point run back to the church? I wished I could tell you that I did, but but no, I'm I'm fairly stubborn individual like most people are. We we develop a little bit of stubbornness, and even though I had accepted the fact that I could not disprove the Bible, in fact, everything that I studied and did proved it more and more, and in one sense that pulled me back a little bit because I I was a, a little disappointed in myself and my intellectual abilities. But a, a scripture that I that 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 just literally was imparted on my brain was in Romans chapter 1 in verse 22 where, where uh, Paul says, uh, professing to be wise, they became fools. And if you read through the whole of chapter 1 and 2 of Romans, you'll find out that God has always been made known to man uh, and therefore we don't have any excuse. But our excuses are as, well, I've got plenty of time. Well, I can, uh, I can wait till I'm more ready. I can wait until certain situations happen. Um, and the situation that happened to me was the birth of our first child. Uh, it was a tremendous impact on both my wife and, and, and my life because suddenly we were parents. We were a long way away from home. We were by ourselves, but we now had this tiny little child. And, um, and I began to look at her and, and start really realizing things that I needed to do, even though I'd convinced myself I had plenty of time to do them. Mm. It's interesting how so many people find themselves in that situation where Sunday after Sunday after Sunday goes by, week after week, year after year, uh, it goes by and they keep telling themselves, I, I know I need to go back, but maybe they're filled with guilt. Maybe uh, they're, they're procrastinating. They'll say one of these days I'll get around to it. And then something happens. Maybe it's the birth of a child. Maybe it's getting married. Maybe somebody dies. Maybe uh, they go bankrupt. You know, it's something happens in their life and they realize Now's the time. I've got to make that step. So uh, talk to me. You've told me off camera about that, about that, that morning when you finally decided to take that first step. What was, describe that morning for us, what that was like and the conversation you had with your wife. Well, um, I was actually preparing breakfast, uh, blueberry muffins, as I recall. My wife was in, in the back room uh, feeding our daughter. So I, I took some breakfast back to her and, and I was watching her communicate and, and feed my daughter and I, I said to her, we need to make sure she has good moral and ethical values. And the only place I know to really get those is in a church. And I said, we need to start going to church. And uh, my wife said, you're right, but we're not going to the church you think we're going to. <laughs> we're going to go to the church that I grew up in. And so uh, I I said, well, well, we'll go there, you know, just anything to get her into that type of environment. So the next Sunday we prepared and we went to a, a, a particular congregation, denomination that my wife grew up in. Um, we got there and we attended Bible class. Uh, the Bible class was very disappointing. There was no Bibles. So uh, the only thing the instructor had was the local newspaper for that morning and the entire class discussion, the Bible class discussion was specific items related to the newspaper and how they related to the practical side of life and so forth. And during the worship service, there was very little 
even said about the Bible, even by the minister at that time, it was, it was more about the practical side of, you know, being thankful you're in America and being thankful that you're free and those type of things. When we left services that morning, my wife and I were driving and, and she was holding the baby. In those days, they didn't have car seats, by the way. She was holding the baby and I looked at her and I said, well, what do you think? And she said, I feel very empty. And I said, that's exactly how I feel, very empty. So um, we, we left church, went home, and we discussed um, what we needed to do to really be active in church. And we decided to attend a local congregation of, of the Church of Christ there in Little Rock, where we lived at the time. And it was like coming home for me. Uh, but my wife especially was just overwhelmed by the simplicity and yet the love and nurturing that was given on our first visit there. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it, was, uh, it was one of those things that it was a God thing. It was something that was meant to be. Yeah, so we're not talking about coming to a social club. We're not talking about uh, that, that if you're out there in the world and you're not attending worship, that you need to come and be a part of a social club. That's not what we're talking about. There's certainly a lot of groups that you could go to, but we're talking about something spiritual, something more important, something that involves people's souls. And, and I'm so excited that you guys found your way back. We've got so much more to talk about. Uh, we'll be right back with Ron McElyay in just a moment. You're listening to Crosstalk, which is brought to you by Baker Heights Church of Christ in Abilene, Texas. Find out more about Baker Heights by visiting our website, bakerheights.org. Welcome back. We're talking with one of our elders, Ron McElyay, about coming back to the church. Ron, you've told us about your story. You've told us about how you, you grew up in the church and you were baptized. You became a, a Christian. Uh, but somewhere along the way, uh, the world and influences and peer pressure and all of these things um, caused you to, to walk away. And even after you, you realized um, you know, that God was real and that His Word, the Bible was His Word, it, it still was difficult to make that first step to come back to the Lord's church. Um, there may be other people out there that are in a similar type situation. That's why I think that this discussion is so important. But some of those people might be saying, I don't need to come back, Ron. That, that's not a big deal. I, I can be a Christian just fine out there by myself. What do you say to that? More importantly, what does God say about, I call them Lone Ranger Christians that just want to be out there by themselves and do their own thing uh, and not be a part of the Lord's church? What, what does God say about that? You know, I think the, the, the key to that is out there by yourself. Uh, most of us know, just from a worldly standpoint, that when you're all alone uh, against whatever odds it may be, nature, other individuals, or whatever, you're, you're very susceptible mm. to being harmed. You're very vulnerable to being hurt. Uh, and I think that, that that's why so many of us, again, even, even the world sees the need to band together, to have a togetherness in order to protect each other and protect themselves and so forth, and certainly to protect their children. I, I think sometimes we're remiss in, in, in that while we look at God and we look at Jesus and we see the, the goodness and the kindness, we forget that Jesus established a mechanism for us to be protected. And it's not being out there all alone. It's, it's His church. Uh, it's, it, he, he designed it, He built it, and it's His. But He wants us to be a part of it. And the reason He wants us to be, and this is the very difficult part of it, 
we sometimes think that we can do it ourselves. I'm okay, you're okay, you know, we'll, we'll be able to handle this. But there are things in life that we just can't handle. There are situations and issues that come about that literally burden us to the point that we don't know what to do, who to turn to. But see, Jesus set up his church so that we would always have a basis of others to turn to. Others who hopefully will love us, who will accept us, who will forgive us. Because Jesus himself, there is no understanding of, of, from our standpoint, a man's standpoint, of how much he can forgive, hmm. how much he can forget, and the mercy and love and kindness that he has for us. You see, I believe that there's no one, not one of us, who, as long as we breathe, can't return to Jesus. But when we do that, we've got to return to his church hmm. because that's where he's found. Mm -hmm. That's his body. He's the head and he's the body. Yeah, and the, the, you're making some fantastic points. And, and that's something I think that we forget sometimes, that this is God's design, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, the world has certainly created a lot of religions. And, I mean, you can look around the world and there's a lot of world religions. And, and I believe that, that denominations are man's religions. Sure. Sure. But when we look at Scripture and we look at God's Word, we see that it's God's design. It's, it's the design of Jesus Christ for his body to be collected, to be assembled. And that's what the word church means is an assembly. And so it's, it, it's his design that we be uh, an assembly of people and come together, like you said, to help each other. Galatians, Paul talks about in Galatians about bearing one another's burdens. And sometimes we need each other to help bear those burdens and that we can't bear them alone. Um, and, and so, and, and you made an interesting point there at the end too about the body of Christ. And I think that that's an interesting metaphor. Paul talks about that in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12 about the church is the body of Christ. So talk a little bit about that and, and why it's necessary for a Christian, a body part, to be connected to the body. Well, let me, let me say maybe two different ways. The, the first way is when we look at the church sometimes, we only look at it from the standpoint of fellowship, the body, and that's very important because that's one of the key ways that the church is designed. It's designed for us to be able to have fellowship, to talk with one another, to communicate our our the good things, the bad things, our weaknesses, our troubles, our struggles. But the church is also designed to worship Jesus Christ. And we forget that because we sometimes, in fact, go back to Romans chapter 1, which I quoted a little bit ago. We forget that God has designed us for His glory and for His worship. When we worship God, when we worship Jesus, it takes our mind off of ourselves. Mm -hmm. It lets us think of Christ and lets us think of others who are in Christ. It puts us in a framework of being more selfless instead of being selfish. So church is, church is really about fellowship, but it's also about fellowship with Jesus and realizing I owe Him everything, my very being. And, and sometimes we, we fail to get that when we look at the church of Christ, when we look at His body. Um, so many times, in fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, you know, he talks about the church and Jesus. The, the church is also the bride of Jesus. He talks about Jesus nourishes that bride, loves it, cares for it. Why? So that the bride can be presentable to Him, can be cleansed and be perfect. For Christ. So we sometimes look at the church only as a, you mentioned clubs, social clubs. We sometimes look at the church that way, but 
and it does have fellowship in some um, um, parts of, of socialization, but primarily it's about worship, it's about adoration, it's about understanding who I am and who God is. Right, absolutely. And we forget that spiritual nature of right. the church and we try to turn it into something that it was never designed to be. And when we turn it into something it's not designed That's to right. be, it doesn't work the way it's designed to work. And, and, and we get so confused about it. But I think it's important for people to realize that just like a body, like you said, the church is where Jesus is. It's his bride, it's his body, it's, it's the, it, uh, Paul compares it to the temple of God. That's where God dwells, is in the church. And so when we're disconnected from the body, when we're disconnected uh, from the church, there's no life out there. And, and in order to have that spiritual life, we've got to be connected to the church. Now, the church isn't perfect, is it? I mean, we, we know the church because we are the church. And we the church isn't a building. Uh, the church isn't a club. The church is people that come together with a, a common purpose. But all of us are struggling, aren't we? I mean, the, sometimes people get scared away from the church. Uh, sometimes people get driven away from the church because of imperfect people. So. Uh, what, what do we tell people that, uh, that are they're struggling with that idea, that they're struggling with the idea that, well, there's nothing but a bunch of uh, sinners over there. There's nothing but a, a bunch of hypocrites over there. I mean, what, what do we, how do we help people to, to come back understanding that, yes, it's filled with imperfect people? You know, I like to say it like this. Um, being in the church will not save you. But unless you're in the church, you cannot be saved. Mm. And that's just a fact because, again, that's the way Jesus designed his church. You know, Mac Davis uh, uh, had an old song, and the words went something like, uh, Oh, Lord, it's, it's hard to be humble because I'm so perfect in every way. <laughs> he obviously was not talking about the Lord's church. Uh, in fact, uh, we know that the Lord's church is made up of society in general and everything that happens in society can happen in the church. The difference is we don't continue in those things. We try to keep from doing those. We try to stop those things. We try to practice what Christ is like. That's what the church is all about, being Christ-like. And sometimes we forget those things. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the difference. You know that word hypocrite gets thrown around a lot. Right. And a lot of people say, well, I don't want to go to church because they're a bunch of hypocrites. Well, that's the difference between an imperfect person and a hypocrite is that we're, we're actually trying to practice what the Bible says. I don't do it perfectly, you don't do it perfectly, none of us do it perfectly, but we're trying. A hypocrite is somebody who tries to make people believe that he's doing it perfectly, even though he knows, very, he knows well that he, he isn't doing it perfectly. So I would disagree that the church is full of hypocrites. There, there may be a few hypocrites, I'm sure that there are a few hypocrites um, in, in every congregation, but by and large, Christian people are imperfect people that are trying to follow a perfect Savior. So one other question, what would you say to people that are, are saying to themselves, I, I need to go back, I want to go back, but they're kind of overcome with guilt. I don't know if you were there when you were in this situation, but they might feel like I've been away too long. I, I don't know what people would think. I, I, don't, I don't know what would happen if I went back. I, I, I've been away so long now, how could I possibly go back now? What would you say to somebody that's feeling that way? Well, obviously I think all of us that have fallen away and, and, and came back at some point can always look to the Apostle Paul and and um, uh, in, in the thoughts that he had in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, in fact, I call it the chiefest of sinners syndrome. Mm. There's not 
any of us who have been Christians, who have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ through immersion, and then who have fallen away, who haven't felt so guilty and thought, there's just no way I can get back. I mean, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I can't get back. But Paul calls himself that for a reason, because he says, through the love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, I am what I am. He brought me into and back into. And over and over again, Paul uses expressions like that. Um, you know, except for Christ, I wouldn't be who I am. And so what we have to realize is that I think that, that even if you've fallen away, and even, even if today you're considering, I really need to be in church. I need to be in the body of Christ. I need to be participating because quite honestly, none of us know what tomorrow has in store. And, and that in itself is a thought that a lot of us avoid and evade thinking about. Mm -hmm. But that's really what it's about. Right, absolutely. And you brought up a great point about Paul. And that made me think about all of the people in Scripture that have messed up so royally. I mean, you've got, you've got Paul who killed Christians at one point. You've got David who uh, committed adultery, who committed murder. Right. You, you've got all of this host of characters throughout Scripture, and God doesn't pull any punches. He tells us exactly like it is. He tells us exactly how messed up and how uh, sinful people can be, but just to magnify His grace and His mercy and His love and His forgiveness, that if people will repent and come back to Him and return to Him, that He will run to meet them. And, and it's such a marvelous story that I, I wish that we could get through to, to so many people. I really, Ron, I really appreciate you coming on today. I really appreciate you uh, sharing this subject with us. Uh, we've got one final thought. We'll be back in just a moment. Crosstalk is brought to you each week by Baker Heights Church of Christ, located at 5382 Texas Avenue in Abilene, Texas. We meet every Sunday morning for Bible study at 9 and worship at 10 and every Sunday evening at 6. We also meet on Wednesday evenings at 7. If you're in the Abilene area, we would love for you to come worship with us. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Crosstalk. Now, here's a final thought from Wes. I want to thank Ron McElgay again for being with us and sharing his experience. I'm so thankful that God helped Ron find his way back to the church. And Ron is living proof that you too can come home. Jesus told a parable in Luke 15 about a young man who left his father's house to go and live in the world. Eventually the young man's money and his friends were gone and he hit rock bottom. He was left feeding pigs and was so hungry he wished he could eat the pig's food. Then he realized that, his serv that the servants in his father's house had a much better life than that. He decided to swallow his pride, go back home, and beg his father to accept him. But he didn't have to beg. God loves you that much. This is what Luke chapter 15 and verse 20 says. It says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's how much God loves you. He loves you that much. No matter where you've been or where, what you've done, God loves you enough to welcome you back home. Are you ready to take that first step of faith to come back home? If you'd like to talk with somebody, please give us a call at Baker Heights. The number is 325-692-6974. We would love to visit with you. Or if you have a question about something you've heard on the show, you can send us an email at questions at bakerheights.org. We may even include your question on a future episode so others can benefit from the answer as well. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends and family about Crosstalk.
You can find an archive of past episodes on our website at bakerheights.org slash crosstalk. Come worship with us at Baker Heights. You're always welcome. We love you. God loves you. Have a wonderful day.